0: Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios
1: in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Atlanta Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best
2: businesses and the people who lead them.
3: Lee Cantor with Stone Payton, another episode of GSU
2: ENI Radio Stone. Hey man, we are hitting our stride today. We're broadcasting live from the Georgia State University Entrepreneurship and Innovation Institute. Uh anybody who ever listens to us knows how much fun that we have when we're down here. We're catching up with some old friends, making some new ones. Second episode in a row, though, without faculty, I know. board chairs, and a muckety-muck. No bucks. adults. Man, this we're, is, uh... we're in the belly of the beast down here, right? <laughs> Where the rubber meets the road, too. Uh, very passionate, bright entrepreneurs. You're really going to enjoy visiting with them. First up, please join me in uh, welcoming to the broadcast, founder and CEO with Synchronicity, Miss Amber Luder, how are you?
0: I'm great. I'm excited to be here today.
2: Well, Amber, before we get too far into things, tell
3: us about Synchronicity. How are you serving folks?
0: Sure. So we provide group and individual trainings on establishing work-life balance, specifically for tech startups and businesses in the tech industry.
3: So you find uh, a lot of them are a little out of whack when it comes to work-life balance?
0: Yeah, I mean, we live in a 24 seven, always on culture, um, where, you know, there's a lot of workaholism, there's a lot of drive uh, to get things done. And especially in entrepreneurship, uh, things are go, go, go. So a lot of people are, you know, stressed, anxious, just overwhelmed in general.
3: Now, um, did you find this niche uh, organically? How'd you come up with startups? As a, I mean, you could have went with lawyers, you could have went with CPAs, a lot of people struggle with work life balance.
0: Sure, that, that's a great question. Um, so personally, my background is entrepreneurship, so I have lived it and witnessed kind of the, the stress involved in that uh, way of living and working personally. But also just the realization, um, it's called the law of accelerating returns. Essentially, in the 21st century, humans are going to experience roughly 20,000 years of change over the course of 100 years. And realistically, none of us is psychologically or emotionally prepared to deal with that. And
3: Except people, you well, and
0: your firm. <laughs> exactly. We're here. We we know how to help you. But, exactly. Uh, but, you know, people in the tech industry are really kind of on the front lines of that experience. It's rapid. It's uh, never-ending demands. And it, whether it's positive or negative stress, your brain and your body still register it as stress.
3: Now, it, do you find that a lot of entrepreneurs kind of lean into this, like, expectation of, i got to be 24-7. i got to be doing this. I can't waste any time because i'm already Mm. behind they they believe that the only way to do more is to be on all the time and then don't you hit a point of kind of diminishing returns with that
0: absolutely yeah burnout right so i think that's kind of the mindset and there there's a truth piece to it right like that there is a certain level of uh, commitment
3: required as part of the lifestyle absolutely
0: absolutely but if you're not mindful about that and you do not have support in place, the likelihood that you're going to be successful is, is just not very great because we all have a capacity and we hit that capacity at some point.
3: So now what are some of the tools you give the entrepreneur in order to create this balance?
0: Sure. It's a variety of things. Um, some of it is conflict resolution skills. Uh, some of it is training around emotional intelligence. It's really unique and specific to the organization and the individual.
3: So how does it work? So they, how do they know they're out of whack, that they need your help?
0: Um, well, a lot of them know my background's in mental health. Uh, so I'm a licensed professional counselor. Um, historically, that's been my past. And um, so people tend to realize they're their burnout because their life starts falling apart, right? Like they're either just unmotivated, they're not able to get anything done, and or they just can't get out of bed, like the idea of doing anything uh it's just not motivating so for So that
3: isn't a balance? So then it seems like they're not working if they're in bed.
0: Some say, yeah, they're, I mean, I guess it's a balance. Sounds like they a balance. Like they've hit like, a balance. Like, yeah, the, the balance mm-hmm. is uh, burnout and collapse, <laughs> essentially. And um, beyond just the tech industry, the, the research is coming in recently. I, last week I saw, I believe, on Facebook that it has been actually identified as a mental health condition now by the World Health Organization. That burnout um, mm-hmm. is a mental health condition. Yeah, that it that is – The records are just off the charts of how many Mm -hmm. people are reporting just being depressed or unmotivated or overwhelmed by everything that needs to get done in their life.
3: So now some of this kind of creeps up on a person, right? Like they think like I got it all together and then it starts like once one more hour or I'll just work on this thing and all of a sudden it's midnight or it's two in the morning and I'm still working on this thing. Um, What are some things that a person could be doing to kind of get ahead of this?
0: It's, yeah, the a, a great starting point is just trying to be a little bit more mindful of when you're getting close to empty, not pushing yourself past that. So when you're having that moment of like, should I work another hour? Do I need to get this done? We like to think that more hours equals more productivity. But in truth, there's a certain point where that's just not true uh, once you exceed about 50 hours of <clears throat> work in a week for most people, especially if it's uh high demand work, like anything that takes creativity or originality, y- you can't exceed that point or what the quality of what you're doing just, just goes downhill really fast. And so if you could be more mindful um, in that moment of like, should I work another hour? It's how, what's the quality of work I'm actually going to create in that hour.
3: Mm-hmm. So now tell me about your kind of entrepreneurial journey. You said you started out as a, What a certified So
0: yeah, I'm a therapist, therapist. uh licensed counselor, but my journey actually starts sorry. Uh before that. Um I had an event planning company started it in two thousand four. So how was that? Fifteen years ago. Oh my gosh, yeah, fifteen years ago. uh, when I was first out of college. So had an event planning company, did that for about a decade, uh, then went came back to school at Georgia State, uh, got my master's in counseling. Have had a private practice. So what practice. drew
3: you to counseling from event planning?
0: It's a great question. Um, I've always wanted to help people, and um, I liked doing event planning, but it didn't have the sense of purpose that I was looking for. It also required a tremendous amount of nights and weekends, and I knew I wanted to have a family, and that just was not going to be a good fit for me. Mm-hmm. So it was a few things.
2: Ha- haven't you ever tried to plan an event? There's more work stressful. than you
0: can shake
3: mm-hmm. a stick
2: at. <laughs> right there not in that industry, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: It's a lot of work and uh, there's a lot of competition in that industry as well.
3: So then you go back to school and uh, what was your experience at Georgia State like?
0: It was great. It was great. So I got uh, my master's in my EDS at the College of Education and Professional Counseling.
3: Was it an evening thing or were you kind of back in school and going?
0: I was like working two or three jobs and going to school. Oh, wow. and uh, But it was great. It was really flexible. The, the program truly just changed my life. Like uh, – as an As an individual, how I live, how what I believe was was greatly impacted by that. experience. So you learned
3: like kind of lessons from the going to school for you personally of how to cope and manage stress and things like that.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It, you know, you're not going to hide anything in that program, right? Because mm-hmm. you're if you're not willing to get real, then you're not going to be successful mm-hmm. in that field. So. It was great. So
3: what was the first aha moment that you were like, uh-oh, this is, I got to be real here.
0: Oh, man. I would say uh, in my conflict resolution class, um, it was mind-blowing. I felt like my mind exploded because I always thought it was like win-lose, right? Like you either win or you lose. And, and you here probably was this, didn't
3: like to lose. Well, who likes to lose, <laughs> right?
0: Like, come on, especially as an entrepreneur, nobody wants to lose. But this class truly transformed the way that I looked at the world. I mean, just understanding... Uh, just that there are so many other options out there over win lose and just how you choose to to approach things really defines uh the outcome a lot of time
3: so do you find that a lot of people are stuck on kind of a mindset and then you got to kind of open their mind to other possibilities
0: yeah i i think so i i think it's about um kind of uh, expanding right so just introducing new concepts and you know what the person chooses is going to be true for them is kind of unique but the more that we get curious about the way that we think the more room we have to grow and we get really rooted in like this is the only way that really contributes to feeling stuck and feeling like i don't have choice and i don't have control of my own life
3: Do you find that a lot of people fall into that kind of, I don't want to say kind of victim mentality, but it's that they don't think that they have control. They think that they are just kind of floating around and they don't have real control over issues that maybe they do if they looked at things differently.
0: Yes. I I think there's a lot going on socially and politically that's reinforcing some of these ideas around the limitations of personal choice. And it's easy to to buy into that um, when there's so much uh, fear in the media.
3: So how do you help your clients like talk talk to me through an engagement? So I say, okay, I'm in, I'm gonna hire synchronicity, we're having issues here at my company. Or do you work with only companies or you can be an individual?
0: So it's a combination of both. We initially go in and kind of do a consultation with the business and assess, you know, what are some of the needs that maybe mm-hmm. the HR department sees. Um, and then do a group training. And then from there, identify if individuals need support beyond just the educational content.
3: And is this support, is it coaching or is it kind of a workshop or a class?
0: So the the group part is a training. It's mm-hmm. live and in person. Um, but the the follow-up, the individual piece starts out as face-to-face counseling, like an intake session. And then from there, you have the option to move into more remote services. So you could do it um over the computer, or over the phone uh-huh. to really help um, first build trust, right? Because that's what we know actually helps people in in a coaching or a counseling situation is we have to have that trust there. But then transitioning into a more remote um, mode, like whether that's over the internet or over your phone, to to make the most of our time, right? Because everybody these days is short on time. And if you have to drive to somebody's office and then drive back to work, that's a lot of time.
3: So now, are your clients here locally in Atlanta, or you have clients anywhere? Because I guess you can do some of this remote stuff anywhere.
0: Sure. So right now, it's in Atlanta. Um, we do intend to to move into other cities moving forward, but right now it's local.
3: So how do you get your clients now?
0: Um, a variety, word of mouth, uh, social media, just a variety of different, different marketing.
3: Now, is there any kind of um, initiatives you're working on right now? Do you have partners or? Uh, collaborating with anybody?
0: So I, I am working currently with a few of my other female entrepreneur uh, friends on ideas around how to combine our services with diversity initiatives, how to help take things beyond just checking the box mm-hmm. and actually teaching uh, employees um, how to advocate for themselves in pro-social ways, right? So not, um, not having negative confrontations at work, but really using strong interpersonal skills to make sure that they're able to say, you know what, I'm, I'm supposed to have this paternity leave. And so I'm, I'm going to take it and doing that in a way that is um, for everybody, not against anybody.
3: Now, do you find that the organizations are open to this type of kind of work that you're doing, or is it a hard sell in there?
0: It depends on the organization. It, and it really it's the pain point. It's, it's who's got the pain, right? Like, if it's if it's devising a human capital strategy, per se, like if the CFO can look at the numbers and say, we are not retaining employees, we've got to do
3: something about this. And that's a symptom of a problem, right? Right. If your turnover is getting out of control.
2: We got to do something. It's also a bottom line ROI focused aspect of her work. This is not all soft, fluffy stuff. There's a there's a genuine hard dollar return to this work. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a perfect example of This turnover is costly. Yeah.
0: And and even turnover and decreased productivity. You know, a lot of employees are reporting, my, my employees are just not present. They're physically here, but they're on their phones or they're just not being productive. So helping devise strategies that will provide an ROI as well as help help their employees become healthier, happier employees.
3: Now, how did your path take you into this entrepreneurial uh, rather than I'm going to work at a social worker clinic or something like that?
0: Um, that's, that's a great question. I, I, I knew I wanted to be in private practice as a therapist um, just because um, if you're going to actually be able to pay your bills, you have to make money. And so social work doesn't really pay much. And even counseling, if you're in a counseling center, pays pretty, pretty low. And um, it's a lot of energy to do it well. So I knew I wanted to be in private practice, and I enjoy my work in private practice, but I I reached a point where I really felt my limit of, of both my impact um, and revenue.
3: And you were kind of waiting for people to come to you? Is that what private practice? Like, I don't know how the business of a counselor works. They just uh, sure. say, I'm a counselor, and then I, people are like, hey... I need a counselor. It's Let tricky. Google that. It's <laughs>
0: tricky, right? Because there's still a lot of stigma around mental right. health where and
3: I think make it's moving referrals. forward. They hey, do. I was like having a really hard time, you know, call Amber. Like, does that happen? Or are people like kind of embarrassed. Like, I don't want to tell somebody I need help.
0: It, it happens some. So I specialize, uh, in couples counseling. So a lot of my referrals came from people that are doing a lot of individual work. Like they'd be working with an individual and realize, oh, this is more of a marital issue. So I would get referrals that way. Yeah, um, from an
3: attorney, like maybe a divorce attorney mm-hmm. or something like, Hey, maybe
2: financial <laughs> advisor. You ever been in a financial meeting? <laughs> <laughs> that causes stress. You watch right? a husband and a wife talk about money, mm-hmm. right? Yeah,
0: yeah. That's, I mean, you're, you're hitting on some, some primal needs yeah, there. That's, that's going to get not intense mean. pretty quick.
3: So then, uh, you went from that and then you said, let me pivot to kind of the startup community.
0: So I was part of an incubator in Atlanta and my focus was on teaching relationship skills. Mm-hmm. And what I realized over time is that's not the right pain point, right? That people will realize they have problems in their relationship, but it's, it's, it's when they're in crisis that they get help, right? Like divorce or affairs. Um, and realizing I wanted to do something that helped people beforehand, right? And so it's a little bit different, but it's teaching a lot of the similar skills, but in the vein of to advance your career or Mm -hmm. to make you a better employee. Uh, And kind of with the secondary return of, you know, good communication is good communication across the board. If you learn to communicate well a conflict with your boss, you're probably going to be able to apply that at home as well.
3: Right. So then once you kind of made that mental shift from going to the, you know, to the consumer, then to the business, did that help the businesses said, yeah, we need some of that? Give me some of that. There is
0: a lot of interest. There mm-hmm. is a lot of interest. And I'm still um, honing in on, you know, the, the, the offering, ideal because right? each industry is unique, right? I think it's a little bit too generic to say, oh, we help everybody. That's not really true. There are specific industries that um we're we're better prepared and more equipped to support.
3: And then how did you get your first clients?
0: Uh, Through, through my relationships, you know, that I was a part of an incubator in the city that really helped me meet people live Mm -hmm. and in person and cultivate relationships. And I'm old school. I think that um, genuine relationships can certainly be fostered and encouraged um, over social media, but that getting out there meeting people face to face and having real conversations is how you connect
3: And then, um, how'd you know you were onto something that this could have legs?
0: Uh, The realization that I have heard from so many of my clients and and other, um, people in my life that, you know, we're at a point where there's not a lack of information, right? Like there's information everywhere, almost to our detriment. Most people are so overwhelmed by information, they get paralyzed. And so when people start listening to themselves and get clarity internally, that is incredibly powerful. And um, I see just transformations in people's lives that are unbelievable when they start remembering how to
3: do that. Now, any tips or a low-hanging fruit for an individual that may be getting stressed?
0: Um, be honest with yourself. If you're getting stressed, the best thing that you can do is recognize that and try to find ways to, to be compassionate. Um, there, It's too easy to get caught in the trap of, I'm not doing enough. So it's counterintuitive, but sometimes uh, you get more done when you do less because you're doing it better.
3: Good stuff. If somebody wants to learn more about your firm or have an engagement with you, what's the best way to get a hold of you?
0: Sure. Um, you can go to get.synchronicity.com
3: and synchronicity is spelled a little.
0: Yes, that is. It's it's spelled (laughs) with a P like kind of like psychology. It is a unique spelling of the word.
2: All right. Well, keep up the good work and, uh, Keep us posted on your on your progress. This is uh, this is important work. And as I was sharing with you earlier, I, at least I I feel like there's this genuine hard dollar return to this kind of investment. Lee asked you about some low hanging fruit for the individual. What about the leader? What are some things as a leader uh, we might can do to just make the, the environment a little more conducive uh, to less stress?
0: I, I think it's leading with intention. Um, the more, you know, people don't believe what you say as much as they believe what you do. So if you want to send a message to your, to your employees or to your staff, it's by actually embodying the principles you're talking about, not just giving lip service. Because it's great to say, oh, I believe in self-care. Meanwhile, I'm working 70 hours a week, never taking vacation, modeling the mindset that I don't actually believe that. So taking uh, a
3: two-week welcome. Italy vacation is good for the business? <laughs>
0: it can be. It certainly can <laughs> yeah. be.
2: What, is it, what do you call that? The audio has to match the video. Or so. <laughs> video matches the audio. That, that's what it is. Well, thank you for sharing your story.
0: Well, thank you for having me. It was exciting to get to share it with you all.
2: Mm-hmm. All right. Stay with us. We're going to visit with one more guest. All right, Lee, you ready for this one? I am. Okay. Please join me in welcoming to the broadcast founder and chief artisan at Tulip Cake Embroidery, Miss Katie Culp, how are you? Good, how are you? Doing well, thank you. Did we lower your stress level even a notch or two maybe in that last segment?
1: I was half prepared to witness the two of you go into, um, you know, your mediation session <laughs> together to figure out how, how to better communicate uh, I was doing
3: all my deep breathing mm-hmm. exercises. I
2: was trying everything I could. To but it count. is like a marriage. We've been in business together for 12 years. Wow. Uh, Lee founded the company. I say I founded Lee. Mm. I, I, I jumped on <laughs> his coattails. He really started the thing, but... I mean, you know, we spend a lot of time together Mm -hmm. and And we probably talk about communication
1: though. That's, that's what you guys do
3: primarily. Yeah. See how she's trying to, she's, she's counseling us. I (laughs) am also
1: tulip cake counseling.
3: (laughs) That's a side (laughs) hustle. Well, Katie, tell us about Tulip Cake. How are you serving folks?
1: Yeah, so I have um kind of a, a micro niche business here in Atlanta. Micro niche. Micro it's niche. It's not a niche. Well, yeah. It's, it's a micro it's, it's, it's even, a niche
3: within a niche. It's even <laughs> tinier.
1: So um my background is uh I've been a textile artist, you know, for um at least with hot as a hobby for as long as I could remember. And then uh, for a number of years, I was working in the costuming industry here in Atlanta, making costumes, um, you know, being like a, a background costumer for um, small te- film and television projects, commercials, et cetera. So what does uh, that even mean? Costumer
3: so co- costuming. What does costuming mean?
1: Uh, essentially it's, it's, you know, the, the, the clothing visual for everything on camera. So, you know, everything that everybody is wearing is, is put there intentionally, uh, by you know a team, uh, and so so they
3: don't just go into Macy's and buy stuff. Or there's they're building there, all the costumes.
1: Uh, no, not necessarily. So there, there's a bunch of different ways you you can go about it. So. Um, you know, the, the position of the costume designer is that, you know, they are the one that decides what is, what everybody is wearing. The look. Yeah. And then the costumer is, you know, the, the person who actually, you know, gets the clothing on the body. So you have to have the right size. Oftentimes things may need to need to be altered or aged or dyed, um, you know, adjusted a little bit to look, look, look lived in. Um, but anywho, so I'm, I'm doing all this for, for, um, a few years and, um, I personally was – my favorite aspect of the job was the making things. And uh, one one issue that we kept on running into uh, the community of uh, kind of costuming professionals down here in Atlanta is that uh, specifically with the film industry, they need everything so fast that um, they need local resources for pretty much all of these uh, different things that need to happen to the costume, including – Embroidery. So, you know, if you think about your favorite, uh, film or television show or even, you know, a Hardee's commercial, there's probably, um, a police officer or a surgeon or some kind of a uniformed professional on that show. There might even be a segment where somebody, you know, is, is, uh, in a radio station, you know, that has their branding Mm -hmm. on a shirt. And so any, uh, any kind of on camera situation that calls for that branding, they need completely custom, uh, embroidery done and they need it now. And so, um.
3: So they can't wait two days or oh, three no. days. Like, yes. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Right?
1: So, I mean, there's.
3: Cause there's hundreds of people waiting for Hundreds that.
1: of people <laughs> waiting. You know, money is burning. Um, there's, there's really no replacement for, I need it right now. Mm-hmm. The, the camera is rolling. Like, let's, let's get this on the actor. And so, um, I took kind of everything I knew about costuming. And my personal passion for seamstressery, and also a fascination with technology, and I started investing in industrial equipment so that um, my my colleagues uh, and uh, you know friends and, and all the professionals that I knew, you know, I just started being like, hey, if, if you need it done, you need it done now. Like, I'll do it, and um, that pick that picked up pretty quickly, and uh, I eventually stopped taking other outside costuming gigs and. Um,
3: so you're the go-to. For I, this.
1: I, I would, I would like to believe I'm the go-to. There's still like a, a a bunch of other, um, you know, decorated apparel companies here in Atlanta, and they're great. Um, n- the differential for how I do things is most traditional embroidery and t-shirt printing, et cetera, companies, they have like a set of minimums and, and rules and like, Oh, our turnaround is this and that. Um, I, I basically broke it down into, uh, yes, you can have one of these and you can have it now. Here's the cost. Um, and, and it is obviously a higher, uh, higher right. cost,
3: but that's all they need. They don't need a dozen. They don't, yeah, <laughs> they don't need a
1: dozen. And, you know, and, and also it's, it was kind of, I kind of started to think about it in in a way that pretty much every fil- film crew you meet is well no every film crew you meet is a small business right and they are small businesses that you know their their life cycle would you know is sometimes one week their life cycle is sometimes one days. year right two years right. max um and and so all these different kind of like little small business um, little startups are happening all the time and they don't have, you know, they don't ha- have to outfit 36 people, 12 people. They right, have to they- outfit a handful, which is kind of the same in the, in the startup community. Whereas, you know, working business to business, n- no longer are people ordering. I mean, it's, it's becoming increasingly often for people to be ordering, you know, six shirts for their team and then 12 shirts next time. And then, you know, as they grow, they, they grow up, but they're not necessarily, uh, coming to the plate and saying, I need to outfit 500 employees.
3: Right. And your service isn't for that necessarily. Yours is for the person that needs four mm-hmm. and I need four in yellow mm-hmm. and that's it. Yeah. Size which is large our, you or know, size whatever. I bet you can make it pretty custom, even the absolutely size. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's a true entrepreneur. I mean, you f- saw a problem. Mm-hmm. And you had a lot of empathy to understand really what their issue was. Mm-hmm. And you just tried to find the solution that made sense for both of you.
1: Right, exactly. You know, it's it's something, um, something I've, I've received a little bit of um a, a little bit of a uh, Skepticism from from other, um you know, I I like to network a lot with other people in the industry and people who've had embroidery companies. You know, they've got eighty heads and you know a number of employees, and they're doing business, they're doing all this you're doing all the a time. Different thing. Exactly. No, I, mm-hmm. I I I agree entirely, and um, you know, I think that you know change is change is always necessary, and so finding the new finding the way to make that make sense. Uh, is is really what I kind of set out to do, and uh, and I really enjoy doing it.
3: So now, sometimes you make one item. That's correct. And then, what's the most you've ever sold one, you know, um, police officer outfit? Yeah.
1: Well, I'll say for film purposes. Um, for film purposes, I think the 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 most police officer patches we've done um, is about to come out on HBO <laughs> next fall. Yeah. Tune in for Watchmen next year, but if you've seen any mm-hmm. trailers whatsoever for the upcoming season of Watchmen, uh, which is um, oh gosh, I hope I'm right. DC, D- DC is it
3: Marvel? Or DC? I don't know. Oh man, mm-hmm. it's a it's a it's a, a comic. S- book. It's a comic. It was comic a graphic book. novel. Mm-hmm. It was a movie, and then now it's a series.
1: Exactly, and um, and what you'll see from the uh, the trailers coming out is that you know one of the kind of um, really ominous images that they have going on are these. Hundreds and hundreds of these uh, kind of masked uh, officials that are, you know, it's 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 kind of a post apocalyptic setting. Um And then but each of them have two police patches on their uniform and,
3: you know, and who you did- can't buy that at the st- police officer store.
1: No, so everything, that's, and that's a good question because uh, everything also has to, and the other reason things need to happen so quickly is because they have to jump through so many hoops on their end. So the costume designer says this, you know, I've done the research. This is what the, the patch would look like. Okay, let's go to the art department and make something that's like it like it enough to be very believable, but also it has it to be also, too exact it has to pass through legal <laughs> and okay. legal has to say, we are allowed to use mm-hmm. this. And then of course, you know, the producer and, and, and the powers that be have to everybody has to sign off on this. And so by the time you've gotten all these voices together, it's like, great, it shoots tomorrow. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. so um so yeah, that that's a that's a great question. So
3: And then there's also uh sometimes you make a singular item mm-hmm. that's super important.
1: Yeah, like a hero prop, you know. Right. Um, one, one such example of this that I talk about all the time is, uh, early on, we, we worked on, uh, Baby Driver when it was filming here in Atlanta. And, um, if you've seen the movie, there's this part where the, you know, the, the star, the, the lead actor, he's, you know, in a, he's in a chase and he runs into, uh, underground Atlanta and, um, pulls a jacket off the, pulls a jacket off the rack and, you know, flips it on and then, the, the camera focuses on it and it's this ridiculous, like, hot pink, welcome to Atlanta, giant embroidered back piece on, on it. And, um, it was really great to see that in the theater because, you know, that ended up being a joke that people laughed at. And I was like, that is an interesting experience <laughs> that um being able to ha- have a part of that. Of course, you know, that is that is seen in the movie as one item. That was actually 10 jackets because you've got to have one for him, one for the stunt double. You got to get blood all over it. You got to try again. Like, right. so, yeah. So, you know, so what is what is often one item is you, you got it you, it's town it's, it's actually ten items right. so um you know just these these little ways that uh, you know film really puts its own unique kind of set of needs on an industry that's been around for a really long time
3: so now how did uh, georgia state help in your career or did it
1: um well uh, i'll say so i went to georgia state for my undergraduate um degree and i majored in Embroidery. Uh, I majored in embroidery. <laughs> yeah. No, actually, it's um. I, I get ready for this. I was in. I I had a bachelor's of interdisciplinary studies with a concentration in Italian.
3: Oh, another Italian. This exactly. Is I was like, we're gonna come to this subject again. Now, but the last guest spent two years in Italy. Did he say from where? From the last show. No, she didn't say where. Did she?
2: Uh, she probably did, but I don't remember. And I spent the last twelve days in Italy. Oh. Where? In Florence, mostly. Beautiful. Oh, wow. That's yeah. Fantastic.
1: So, having, um, you know, this inter- interdisciplinary studies major, um, you know, it, it, was a really unique challenge. And, and, um, one of the reasons I came to Georgia State is because I really wanted to, um, I wanted to go to college in an urban environment. And, um, and so then when I, I, the reason I settled on Italian is because I actually started as a voice major. Um, I have a lovely singing voice. And that's what's coming next. <laughs> so, um, so, uh, you know,
3: cause they have it like an opera
2: program. here. They do. They? It's,
1: it's right. It's right across the road here. Um, but are you serious? <laughs> I have, oh, they have an
2: opera program at college. Yeah. How cool is that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's really nice. Um, I mean the Rialto theater is, is it's a right throwing there. stone away <laughs> from you. So, right. um, so anywho, so in studying Italian, um, you know, I realized that I, I really didn't see my career going, you know, to the stage. Uh, but I was really enthralled with, um, the literature and the poetry and, and the culture. And so I ended up, you know, kind of following that into continuing the Italian studies. And, um, you know, in, in doing this interdisciplinary major, I was able to do kind of, you know, a, a unique combination of things, which also included, um, two semesters in Venice. <laughs> and, uh, I.
3: And that was part of the, uh, study abroad program? mm mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So I did a summer study abroad in, um, Perugia, which is a little, f- which is further south. It's in, right in the middle of the, uh, the country. And then obviously Venice is right up on the, on the coast on the north side, which, um, it's beautiful, beautiful culture. Uh, also, you know, kind of, while it's, it's like an urban island, um, but very, you know, condensed, it's, it's, it's a very, very, very interesting place to be.
3: Uh, so, did any of this inform your art in embroidery? Uh, I would textiles? S-
1: I would say so. I I, I would say that um, you know, the the Italian culture has so much history in textiles and costume design, and and it's very uh, it's very apparent there. And I would seek out kind of any opportunity I could to just really admire the work. You know, if there were uh, exhibits of. Um, historical clothing or costumes. Of course, it wasn't actually a part of my curriculum. Nobody right, was asking. Ass- Nobody inter- was asking me to do it, but <laughs> yeah, it, it was just an interest. It, it was an interest that I always followed up on, um, privately. And if you'd asked me then, uh, what if I saw myself doing what I do now, the answer is no. I I didn't even really know that the film industry was going to be around the corner at the time. But uh,
3: so, how did you get your first foray into a film situation? Hmm.
1: Well, uh, so. I just kept on bugging people, honestly. I, um, I had, I had met, uh, Just
3: through costuming. You were like, hey, I wanna. Yeah. You know, like a PA in, in the costuming department or something.
1: Yeah, yeah. I had, I had friends, I had made friends who were kind of further along in their careers, mostly like art department and, um, and, uh, people who were actually, you know, making their own projects. And I would say, okay, well, you know, I, don't really have that much uh to do I, or i have you know extra time on my hands let me let me put some things together for you let me show up and help you you know keep the you know keep continuity into what's what's uh going going on screen you know and it's, you know mo- at the time it's mostly unpaid little um projects that we're doing with my friends um and then eventually um what ended up happening is i ended up working for a costuming warehouse here in atlanta it's another women-owned business called southeast costume company and um they are you know they're another business that popped out out of the necessity of the film industry being here so it's a unique style costume house where they warehouse um uniforms so you know say that you're you're shooting something and they're like we have you know 12 dayton ohio uh, police officers so they need you know, the right not only do they need the right sizes, but they need the right colors, um, you know, and ideally uh, have the belt and the shoes and the, the holster and the right. people
3: don't realize how much stuff so there is. much stuff. <laughs> and so there's
1: this enormous warehouse on the on the north side of town. And so I met these other two, you know, these two women entrepreneurs who had, you know, had the guts to to put their you know put their resources together and and build this thing you know th- which is it's 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 a kind of uh industry that does exist out in la there are there are multiple costume houses just right. like this um but really there was nothing at here. the time here and so and again,
3: time is money so
1: exactly when
3: there is mm-hmm. something here they're gonna pick the thing here because they can get it today
1: exactly so working for them for a few years also, really, you know, I met so many costume designers, so many um, costume supervisors, and then also kind of gained, um, in ad- in addition to, you know, kind of the on-set aspect of, of what's happening, really what's happening over and over and over and right. over again on every production. Because
3: you're learning the business and mm-hmm. what their needs are. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you really came up with a solution to a problem that's a real problem. Mm-hmm. And then, but you did kind of make the investment into equipment like this isn't some you just said, "Oh, I'll just do this myself." Yeah, right? Buy, yeah, like things that cost
1: money. <laughs> yeah, I've spent so a ton that, uh, of money on this stuff. <laughs> we recently did just uh, kind of up the ante and and buy even more equipment. Uh, so, uh, for the past four years, I've done exclusively machine embroidery, and um, which has been great. And it's it's kind of shocking that that there's enough you know of that to go around. Uh, but also, uh, I decided that the other the other aspect of things that they need is you know printed T-shirts. And, um, traditional screen, screen printing, it's really not economical to do less than, you know, 50 pieces. And so I got to – there's, uh, there's technology for digital t-shirt printing now. And so, you know, basically it's, it's kind of, um, okay. miraculous how, how, how speedy it is. And so that'll,
3: that's So how about, fast can you make a t-shirt now?
1: I mean, I, I've, I've been in a situation where it's like, okay, text me or email me that picture on your phone. And then within, 2 minutes. Are going to have that are going to have you wearing that on a garment which is really it's i mean, you know, it's 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 technology that is, you know, obviously kind of springing up worldwide but uh to to have it and to to be set up and and have um have the contacts and the people who are having these needs um, you know, just to say you thought we were fast before. <laughs> you haven't seen anything. <laughs> we are faster now.
3: <laughs> so now in your work because you do the embroidery, are you doing like kind of the the crew jackets after the shoot's over? Are you doing some of the fun stuff that they're doing yeah. to celebrate?
1: Yeah, yeah. That's um that's always fun as well. I, I really enjoy doing the crew gifts and then that that, that actually you know, the one kind of um uh sad part about it is sometimes you know i send this embroidery off and i've worked really hard and yeah. it's perfect and it's ready to go on camera and then i worry about it like two weeks later mm-hmm. it's like who's who's taking care Where of this patch now, now? <laughs> right. um but when it comes to like wrap gifts uh that's that's something that people kind of hold on to for sentimental yeah, value for sure. and it really connects me to the people i'm working with and i'm really proud to be able to to offer that to them so it's uh yeah there's you know aside from the on-camera work there there are other needs that they have, and of course, around Christmas time, uh, I'll tell you the film, film people love giving each other gifts. That's it; they're very
2: and generous they're, people. They're generous with the film budgets. And they have, money.
1: you know, you should. I think, I think it wouldn't be a bad idea to look into, you know,
3: the stress of that world. Huh? Stress count, you
1: know, stress management and, and uh, relationship counseling within film communities because <laughs> exactly. those people work. 12 plus hour days that, every day, um, you know, and
3: they have the real stress of deadlines and mm-hmm. every hour is times 200 people mm-hmm. like that. Their time is different time than regular people's time. Right. So
1: yeah, that it's might be something hur- worth Hurry up into. And, <laughs>
3: hurry up and wait. I love it, that phrase. You know, yeah. That's how it is in that business. So if somebody wanted to learn more uh, and get a hold of some of your work, uh, what's the website? What are the coordinates?
1: Yeah, it's uh tulipcake.com. And uh, I will go ahead and explain that uh, because we are neither a florist nor a bakery. <laughs> um, so tulip cake is actually uh, the way that came about is it's an anagram of my name uh, that somebody pointed out. And I was like, great, I need an LLC. So, <laughs> um, so that is, that's, that's what kind of stuck. And, um, you know, I've I've considered changing a couple times, but the I'd the, 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 the amount the amount of trust that that name has has built between uh, the people that I work with and myself, I think is worth keeping.
3: And uh, what's next for you guys?
1: Um, so we are we're working on um, the online platform so that uh, people, you know, the, the listeners oh, so outside here outside
3: of the film industry, oh, yeah. so somebody else needs kind of a one-off or a few.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we're working on the um, kind of the tech angle to make that uh, a little more self-service, so that uh, people can kind of mock up what they're looking for and um, get 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 a general idea before we really kind of confirm. The quote is kind of the longest part of the process is, mm-hmm. is just figuring out the logistics. So of you're going to exactly be doing what. custom.
3: TV. T shirts and things like that.
1: Yeah, we're looking for Georgia State's uh, business. So mm. um, come get your T shirts. <laughs> well, you're
3: right in the belly of the beast here at the Entrepreneurship and Innovation Institute. Mm-hmm. A lot of startups.
1: And I'll tell you what, our shop is actually located um, right next to the Georgia State Stadium. All right. About one block. So um, come see us after games.
3: <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing your story today. Thank you. All right. This is Lee Cantor for Stone Paint, We will see you all next time on GSU ENI Radio.
2: Good job. Cool, thanks. you.